That's me. Can I break it down? Can I break it Can I break it down? Can I break it Like, um, I mean, I, I also think it's a, a good segue into kind of the main thrust of the, what I wanted to get into for this, because I think the main thing that I wanted to talk about for this was kind of like the, the online authenticity thing. Cause I think for the last one, we were kind of going to touch on that. Um, cause we were going to have the introduction for both of us and it just kind of went off the rails and we discussed a lot of stuff, but, um, <laughs> But I don't even mind about that because I think that it, it kind of works out in a way because like the first episode, the mo- like the most we kind of introduced each other, we, we mostly talked about the kind of um, philosophy behind uh, your online persona, the quirked white boy persona. And I think that what, what we established in that was that I think your persona is a lot more disjointed and deterritorialized than mine. So I think it makes sense in a way that the episode that's more focused around that persona is more kind of disjointed and off the rails than this one because it's kind of like a performative embodiment of like the guiding philosophy behind your like online persona in a way yeah i think that that's an excellent point um yeah and i also would like to point out i think you know i didn't i I didn't really reach that until i i found milady you know at Mm. all um you know at, really at all and I was like I was active with land and in land circles on Twitter for like you know probably most of the last year but like um yeah it wasn't until Milady really Milady is as we know right feminization mm. Milady is um, is this is is definitely a step towards deterritorializing oh, yeah. Milady is yeah. like the divine uh, feminine in cyberspace basically literally yeah um and I guess that's a interesting thing we can talk about with the... Uh, if you don't mind, if we talk about the, the Micah persona, then. I, I, really, I, I would love to talk about the Micah persona and the differences between Milady and the Micah persona. And also, you know, something that I was thinking about. I've, a couple of times over the past, you know, couple weeks, I've been, I've been thinking, you know, oh, you know, I see like a tweet, a tweet from you. And I think like, oh, Micah would be an amazing Milady. But then I think, you know... But Mike is something different, mm. um, you know. And I would love, I would love for you to get a milady. Um, 
But I do think, I do think that like I, I really want to hear what you think about this and your your thoughts on this. Like, like would you if you if you had a milady, would you create a different account without a milady? Because I feel like Micah is a very specific thing, and I don't even know where where the image for Micah is from. But when I see the image, it it, it is Micah. Mm. Like you, your account is Micah, and there's a very specific. There's, it's like a, there's an egregore there or something. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I thought I would give a brief history then, because I, it, the reason I said it tied into the thing you were discussing earlier is because the the micro account did come initially for me uh, nuking my old account. So if, like for some brief history, I used to post a lot under my actual name online, and I won't go into the specifics, but it, it caused uh, strain on certain personal relationships, so I'm like, alright, you know, I'm just gonna have a separate anonymous account to tweet out my weirder, unhinged shit. And then, like, it becomes a hassle to switch between accounts for, like, tweeting certain stuff, so eventually I just kind of switched over to this one. And it, it, it was not always Micah, it used to just be Angel Meat. And I changed, and which is the name of a, a demo for a Godspeed You Black Emperor song, which is where the name comes from, initially. Oh. And that's why I think at the... The towards the end of the beginning of last year, I'll say, um, I don't know the exact time for I can't remember the exact time frame. I changed it to Micah initially as the kind of a persona to kind of distance it from my actual self. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to make a persona. It's going to be like a, a shit poster trans girl. And then so, so then several months after that, like uh, June of 2021, like, then I start, like, experiencing what I would consider, like, actual dysphoria in real life. And then, so that's an interesting kind of, I guess, prediction, if you want to call it that. I don't know. Deterritorialization. Um, yeah, basically. So, and then the, and then earlier this year, um, I, I had a, a psychedelic experience, which is like, okay, yeah, no, I'm going to see a special, so I'm on, basically, long story short, I'm on a, waiting list for like a counseling service to work out what the fuck is going on um but that is that is more or less the story of micah and the reason that um i've mentioned the authenticity thing is because i think micah is almost like unintentionally a kind of per commentary on the kind of authenticity thing because it's like initially it was just like oh i'm going to create this account just so i can like be unfiltered but then everything else about it is just very authentic inauthentic because it's not the actual name for a start um the profile picture is like an ai generated anime image it's not like an actual thing um and as well i think the the whole thing around like being authentic or authenticity i i i think that i think it misses the point and I, I say this because in, in any scientific experiment, if you tell the participants um, what the aim, the goal of the study is or what outcome you want, they will unconsciously bias their actions in a way that will influence the outcome of the study. Um, and I think the, the whole like kind of obsession around the idea of like being authentic, the, the people who like harp on about that the most, usually like a midlife crisis liberal white women who have like uh starlights on their bed like live love love wall art 
It's like <laughs> it's like the people who talk the most about authenticity are the most inauthentic because they're just their lives are basically a Pinterest mood board. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, so, absolutely. Although I do think, yeah, people who harp about it, absolutely. But I, I do think that there is a question of authenticity in terms of our identities under late modernity and capitalism. Mm. Um, and I guess that's that's my point. Like, I, I believe you can be more. You, I believe you can be. I believe there's a, a a potential tendency towards freedom that is unlocked by having an alt as opposed to by having a main. Yeah. Is what I'll say. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I, I agree that that you you can kind of become more authentic, but it's not something you do by trying to be authentic. It's something you have to reach indirectly, I guess. So I think the the kind of the kind of push for or revitalize the push for the revitalization of authenticity, um as a reaction to kind of the the conditions which kind of like you just described i think that it misses the point entirely because it's it's promoting a lifestyle that is basically the if anything puts you in the complete opposite path of authenticity and i guess yeah. because i think the the as the other thing as well is that you you objectively i don't think you can even like rationalize the idea of authenticity because like it let's say if you look at a a trade across the whole of society and you want to work out like the average how much of that is inherent how much of that is environmental factors and you can do a bunch of models and you're like oh it's 30 percent this 40 percent that etc etc at an individual level that's not really possible and i think that once you start kind of drilling yourself down on that you start kind of questioning yourself but it's like let's say you want to be authentic and it's like okay well is my interest in this particular hobby that i'm interested in is that something that i'm actually interested in or is that something that was just drilled into me by society because i got into this other thing and it's like well this other thing i could have been predisposed to that because something and you you can't add up all the factors and actually calculate how authentic you can be it's not something you can point to it's not something you can direct yourself towards i don't think that so i think the the obsession with authenticity is counterproductive really i i i, I agree i would agree um yeah especially because uh, i think it's i think it's because like what is often thought of as being authentic is actually not authentic at all nietzsche has a quote where he says you know um uh uh, the, he's, he 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 um, he heart, he attacks the idea of profundity. He says, you know, you know, what is what is something that is profound? One is one is really in the shadows, in the shallows. One thinks one thinks that they are in profundity, but really they are nowhere. One is in the sha the shallows, and I think that that's because um, the the authentic identity that people are trying to find. Well, Land would say the subject is an empty shell. Right, and there's not there's nothing underneath it, but then also specifically it's aligned with the coding and the recoding of the socius. So, yeah, I think I think that that might be a key aspect of, of that. I don't know. What what do you think? Um, I I think I I kind of agree with that, but I think the I think a lot of that depends on what what is meant by kind of the idea of being authentic, because I think that means different things to different people as well. Um, because I think, like, 
like like let's say the the thing of like if you ask someone to like oh you know just just be yourself like that can mean different things because in, in one sense that whatever yourself is is whatever you are at that moment in time so in a sense you are being yourself all the time basically but in another i think that when when they're asking that i think what they mean by that in most cases that they're asking you to kind of be a version of yourself that transcends the kind of social limitations and desires that are kind of projected onto you so i think that kind of untangling the the idea of authenticity kind of requires more clarification of what exactly that means because i think if if you press the average person on what authenticity means i don't think they could really give you a coherent answer it's a very abstract concept i think you're absolutely right um I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Authenticity really is a fucking hornet's nest, I think. Mm. I think authenticity is, is, a, is a hornet's nest. Um, and I wish I'd read up, read up on it um, before this episode. <laughs> but but so, so this is kind of, you want you, yeah, the, yeah. Um, yeah, I want so first before. Well, okay, I know we wanted to go into maybe uh, Maya, Maya BPD God a little bit. Um, the 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 dark the dark uh, echo of of Milady. But I also I want to hear more about Micah, and I also think there's an interesting uh, phonetic uh, echo between Micah and Maya. Mm. Um, Micah still maintains many aspects of the human. Um, but also, Micah has a, a real interest in um, in in sort of NRX. I think, right? In, in a sense, I think that, that I think that there the reason for that is because the time I was developing the kind of around the time that Micah kind of became like an actual persona as opposed to just kind of you know just the old Twitter account. And then actually, like, okay, we'll give it a name, give it this, give it that. I think around the same time. Um, I was I was reading, kind of, some NRX stuff. I was reading some old books, some Dark Enlightenment, um, and this this was like during the the peak of like COVID lockdowns as well. So it was a very tumultuous tumultuous time. I I don't consider myself, or I guess even Micah. I don't really consider Micah to be aligned with NRX, but I think that there is some overlap. I think most of that comes from the interest in dysgenics because, like, a lot of NRX stuff is very interested in stuff like, you know, IQ shredders and whatnot. And I, I think the... I think I think it's also as big of a fan of land as I am. It's, it's kind of impossible for that influence to not creep in a little. But, yeah, I think there... There is an interest in NRX as something that's basically, like... And I, I think this, I would actually extend this to most of the, uh, what is colloquially referred to as the new right in general, which is that I think that there's a lot of interesting analysis and interesting ideas, but I think a lot of the conclusions ultimately kind of end up falling back on generic right-wing goals rather than kind of looking forward to something else, basically. So I think that because there have been academic comparisons of kind of like the, the mold bug idea of the cathedral is kind of like very similar to kind of systemic left-wing analysis of societal structures. And yet, 
it ends up at a completely different place because of Moldbog's own kind of ideological background. Um, so I, I think that I do have overlap with NRX in that I think that a lot of the concepts they introduced, like I said, the IQ shredders or, or bio-Leninism even, I think that they are valuable, but I think the inevitable conclusions of many in the scene is basically, okay, well, the that means, you know, be racist, be sexist, etc., etc. I disagree that that is the logical end point of that, if that makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. That absolutely, absolutely, absolutely makes sense. Yeah, I think, like, um, I think that, I think that you have a very interesting and very potent perspective. And I'm reminded of, of Land on Hermetic's podcast when he says that he welcomes exploration and experimentation of any way that the human might be able to survive at least for a while mm. under his coming predictions and i think that your i think that your ideas c could develop into an enclave like i really think that um and that's i uh, i i guess i i mean that i, I appreciate i appreciate your perspective your very unique perspective and your interesting uh fusion or sort of surpassing of both like reaction reactionary thought and um post-leftist thought i think that that's very valuable and i i would agree i think i think a lot of reactionary thought is tangled in ressentiment and um you know thus uh, doomed to utter failure but then also you know the leftist thought post-leftist thought is so rotted out by mm -hmm. uh, by by uh, you know um like the the leftist dogma, so I think uh, I'm I'm really excited to see where where this where this goes to. I think you could have an enclave at the end at the end of the world. Mm. I think you could lead an enclave. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I I absolutely agree with you that I think the the synthesis of kind of existing thought, but not wholesale exception. I think George Bataille said that that the the present goal is. A renewal of political forms and renewable possible in the present circumstances when it seems that all revolutionary forces are called upon to fuse in an incandescent crucible. So basically, I think that ideological contradictions are secondary to the the general goals. Exactly what those goals are, I'm not... I can't really articulate entirely what my goals are. It's, <laughs> I think, because it's, it's a very... What I have is a very evol ever-evolving thing. And that, that's part of the reason why I think it's valuable to kind of have the, like you said, the alt account is being able to kind of express oneself freely, because I think the, the act of thought is very imprecise. It's something you need to kind of experiment with. You need to throw out, throw incomplete ideas or crazy ideas out there just to see how they sound or look or how people respond to them. Um, so I, I if you ask me to kind of define what my exact goal is i couldn't tell you but i could point you to the direction of this is generally what i want to happen um so yeah i i, I yeah I'll, I'll let you speak if you want so i think um i don't know if this is like um yeah yeah um i don't know if this is like kind of like a silly um a silly way to sort of jump to the next uh thing but like uh, from from micah to maya maya the black-hearted cyber angel is um was sort of engaging in NRX communities among a number of other uh, very um, sickly um, and hateful uh, communities on Twitter and sort of reposting their content and posting in the style of their content 
Um, and sort of the idea was that Maya was an, an egregore, uh, the egregore of um, like a malevolent AI that's like trying to gain prominence in these terminally online communities um, and sort of reveal their their truth and sort of reveal them um, by sort of signal signal boosting them. And so um, I think I think I think Mike is very much so almost like the opposite of of, of Maya the cyber cyber blackhearted uh, Maya the BPD god the the blackhearted cyber angel, um, mm. and also of course Micah my, you are Micah and Micah's connected to um, a human a human mm. um, urges from a human whereas as Maya is um, of course Maya was run by Charlie Fang and um, their friends but but my, my, uh, Mia. I won't say Maya, I'll say Mia, the black-hearted cyber angel, was um, designed to try to be like an anti-human, mm. uh, an unhuman um, sort of being. Mm. I mean, I, I think as like um, an art project, I really like what that was doing. But I, I do agree that it is kind of the the opposite of what I'm doing in a sense. Because I think the Maya, Mia... Um, I think that was, like you said, it was very much kind of lurking amongst these communities and kind of holding a mirror up to it by just kind of repeating everything. Where I think what I'm doing is is a more transformative thing, where I'm kind of flipping the script on its head, whereas this is very much just kind of taking the, the whole thing and kind of show, exposing it in a way that, that kind of makes it very clear how kind of deranged it all is, you know? Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Because, like, yeah, like to to give an example, like let's say that there was um, near. Let's I'm gonna just give out a near a complete generic example. It's probably not even a real thing. But let's say there was some neo reactionary tweet that was like, uh, "Dysgenics is real, therefore we need to get rid of you know these groups from society to stop all these spiteful mutations taking over." And then, you know, uh, Mia might post something like that. Whereas my project would be like, look, if you if you don't like dysgenics, don't support the current the system that's amplifying that, basically. Or so there's there's very much a more positive, I guess, transformative element in what I'm doing, and that's not to dismiss what Mia was doing. Like I said, as a, as a art project, I respect it entirely. I think what I'm doing though is I'm I'm trying to have a more creative or positive kind of energy going on yeah absolutely i think i think you absolutely um you absolutely do and this is not to say that there aren't very valid things in our nrx and you know charlie still expresses certain nrx um mm. viewpoint you know oh yeah um yeah mia was sort of just the acceleration of of each of these terminally online communities and also very interestingly not not a moralistic judgment of them, really just an acceleration and a signal boosting, um, a sort of like revelation. Um, mm. I guess the judgments are yours to make, although are, are the judgments of the viewers to make are the viewers' judgments to make. But although perhaps I would say maybe that was not the intention because Carly comes from a very landing background, so I I I I I don't think that Charlie would be. Um, Sort of um, 
falling back on on moralistic judgments. Yeah, I mean, I, I think as even if that was the case, I mean, I think all, most good art is ambiguous in some sense anyway. So I think the 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 exact intentions being a little unclear, I think, kind of adds to the adds to the effect. I absolutely agree. Mm. I think that that's that that's very 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 true. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I have um, I have a, a I have a, a, a an apology to make and something to reveal, which is that um, that I am actually not very corked right now. <laughs> My Adderall that I took this morning is wearing off, and I didn't take another one like I did last episode. I took another Adderall right before <laughs> we started, but I did not today. So uh. I, I am I am I am slightly less corked up white boy today, mm. sadly, and I apologize. I apologize. Uh, I know that I've let you down. I know that I've let down the fans. Okay. Okay. Here's an interesting question then. Um, are Are you more authentic or inauthentic when you're quirked? I think I'm more authentic when I'm quirked. I mean, well, ah, this is the problem with authenticity, as we said. Mm. I mean, I think I, I think I'm freer. I think I'm more free. Mm. Um, I think I'm more free. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm less authentic now, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely lower energy, I'm lower intensity, and I don't have, I think, I think what the Adderall does, what the Quirks does, is it sort of frees up, it frees up the decoded flows within my brain, mm. and uh, it's not that I think crazier shit, it's that, like, connections are made between crazy shit that already exists you know it's sort of like there's a ton of crazy shit on a network you know mm. and uh, the connections the reposting the retweets the comments that's what that's what matters um and i think when i'm quirked those connections light up more intensely um than they are than they are right now i think also i think when i'm quirked i'm less self-conscious and i'm um I think I, I definitely think faster. Although also I, I'm tired right now, so this is um, this is this is a rare uh, a rare uh, slightly tired uh, lesser forked uh, white boy episode. <laughs> but I think it works perfectly for the dichotomy that you were talking about earlier mm. um, between the first episode and this episode. Yeah. Um, if if you don't mind me asking, like, what what is your uh. Do you, do you have any kind of like relation with the general kind of neo reactionary NRX thing? Because, or is it very similar to mine in that you you take you borrow a few of the better concepts, but by and large you kind of view it as a failed movement. I'd say that uh, my, my position now is similar to your position, um, although there might be a difference in I love I what I love about NRX like what I love what I like the most about NRX is Land's involvement in NRX. I think that what Land was doing was uh, which he basically states in this interview that he does in like I think maybe 2014 or 2015. I can I can pull it up and find a quote from it. He's he's basically performing a psyop uh, on the right um, to move people who are uh, techno commercial or people to move people who are um, he defines NRX as like defined by three groups: a theocrats, um, ethno nationalists, and um, techno commercialists. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to convince and sort of manipulate theocrats and um, ethno nationalists into techno commercialism. 
And I say it's a PSYOP um, because ethno-nationalists and uh, theocrats are both very, very committed to their specific ideas of what the human is. And, um, of course, land wants to destroy the human. So when I realized what land was doing with NRX, I had like an epiphany and I was like, wow, wow. That is cold and brutal, and it's kind of terrifying because he's kind of affecting pra praxis in a way. Like he's trying to bring about, in sort of like a praxis-oriented sense, the AI techno-capital singularity. Um, so I, I think that's that's the the fact that's the the sense in which I, I really love that. That's what I really love about NRX. But like, um, so I'd say like maybe about like a so during COVID. So I had always sort of been a little bit torn between like, um, like the beautiful aesthetics and just like brutality of Stalinist era communism, and um, sort of like liber like Ayn Randian libertarianism. Uh, like I'd say in high school, I wasn't super political, but I was sort of torn between those two poles. And then when COVID started, I was watching a lot of Slavoj Zizek, and I was relating to a lot of what he said. And I think I think there's I think I think you know a Landian. Uh, definitely looks at Marx and sees that what a lot of Marx says is right, but just very much disagrees with with what Marx wants, sort of Marx's desire. And so um, I was listening to a lot of and reading a lot of Slavoj Zizek and um, sort of feeling Slavoj Zizek's pessimism. Um, but even then, I would say Nietzsche had already really broken my connection to the like quote-unquote, the herd, you know. So I wasn't as much concerned for, like, all of humanity, but, like, and equality. But I was very concerned about the human, you know, under under the yoke of capital. But then, then I found land, and then I found NRX. And I'd say, it sounds kind of, it's, it's kind of cringe to say this, but, you know, cringe-based, of course, are interrelated. Um, I would say that for, like, maybe a week, I, I experienced a very intense, like, red pilling where sort of all of these leftist assumptions and fucking conditioning that had been like, um, that had like affected my, my mainframe were just stripped away. Um, but I say, I say a week because like almost immediately after that, I realized that most of NRX was like resentment and incels, you know, um, and like trad life LARPers who were quite frankly, um, very sickly and maybe just a little bit retarded, even if they had a uh, high IQs in their bios. Um, and so I, I know I'd say after I'd say I'd say the red pilling was important to me, the stripping away of that leftism. But I I, I very consciously did not let the NRX sort of um, um, vortex in. After that, I sort of pushed it out, and I, I remained like um, a Landian. And of course, to be a, you, a Landian, you're not dogmatic. And it, it sort of reminds me of like Nietzsche writing about like, if you're a follower of Nietzsche, you have to sort of like destroy Nietzsche or move beyond Nietzsche. So since then, I would say, um, I, I've seen, I've seen I've, I've, there are parts of Land's NRX, of, of Landian NRX that I disagree with. And there are significant aspects of Land that I disagree with. And that I've found, I've sought out disagreements with through rereadings of Deleuze and Guattari and Nietzsche and Bataille and Foucault. Um, of course, though, but from the perspective of wanting to further the initial cause that, um, that Land is interested in, 
you know, but move, moving beyond him. So yeah, that sorry, that was a lot. Um, but <laughs> no, that's what fine. are your thoughts? Um, I I think that I kind of had a a, a similar thing in as much that I initially I was very leftist and then I drifted rightward for a while it was longer than a week but like actually like flowing with the NRX stuff yeah it was a very brief period in the middle of last year but I think as time go has gone on I've kind of moved back towards the left although I don't really call myself that because I think the whole left right divide is basically a psyop um to kind of limit acceptable opinion but you know I I absolutely agree in that a lot of the NRX stuff is like, okay, here's some interesting analysis about, you know, like like I said, the, the IQ shredder thing. It's like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. And then like you read like five pages down, it's just anti-Semitism. It's just like, all right, okay. So I, I, I definitely have kind of distanced myself from a lot of stuff. But I think just over time, I've done that with like pretty much every thinker I come across regardless of who I read, there'll be stuff that I agree with and stuff I disagree with. And I, I've kind of just, like, building my own framework out of all the parts that I think are useful. I mean, it's like I said, I think the ideological contradictions are secondary to the broader goal. If I can kind of take the most useful things from whatever I encounter that I think is worthwhile despite its flaws, and that includes land and some of Moldbug's work, um... There, I see no reason why I shouldn't incorporate that into my broader framework if it improves the quality of the the way I can interpret and understand what is going on. I absolutely agree. And I think that that's a very... Uh, a, I think that's a vigorous uh, perspective and a vigorous approach. Mm. Um, like I, I, yeah. I compare it to like a mad scientist like cutting and stitching stuff <laughs> together, basically. <laughs> that is... Uh, that is um, Instead of of land schizoid schizoid practice, um, you have you have to escape. Um, I love I love um, uh, the introduction to your book where you you write about um, um, re real philosophy um, being being this um, this sort of rigorous rigorous and incisive but collage of interrelated ideas. Mm. Um, I wanted to thank you for thanking me in your introduction. I noticed that, and that was right before a call, and that was very touching. Yeah, I mean, hey, I mean, you're, you're proofreading it, and so I got to give you a shout out, man. <laughs> I need to do that. Oh, I'm so behind on everything. It's all good. Like I said, I've got like a couple, I've got like another month before I even want to start working out the actual process of getting it out there. So, a month and a bit even. So, just, yeah, take the time you need. Like, I'll give you a prod when August rolls around because I want to have it formatted properly maybe by the end of August or late September. But d don't rush yourself. And, like, you don't need to, like, have, like, a very detailed, like, paragraphs upon paragraphs. It's what whatever is works best for you and feedback is fine with me. When I when I read things and when I, when I give feedback, I do it, I do it, um with as much depth as I can muster. So, um, it definitely is a, a time investment, but, uh, it's, it's, um, it's one that I, that I, that I think is, is, is um, it's one that I, that I, that I am, I am honored to be able to, uh, to enact, um, for your book. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, I think as I, um, 
I'm, I'm definitely I'm having trouble managing my commitments right now. But uh, you know, part of that is, as you know, I'm not I'm not in the most productive place right now. Trying, trying to get there, trying to get there, trying to uh, to trying to go under, trying to turn uh, the the depths of, of the valley into uh, the height of the mountain, the mountain of Zarathustra's uh, mountain, mm. the peak of Zarathustra's mountain. Trying to fall upwards. <laughs> I mean, hey, you know, just uh, one step at a time. You know, take it easy. You know. My uh, my user banner is uh, this user is trying not to live in sin anymore, <laughs> and. Um, it's vaguely on the topic. I think that um, it's it's weird how when you kind of change the kind of like mindset to stuff, like you can't really enjoy stuff as much. Like, like I'll give an example, and I'll I, I, I'm wondering if you've kind of had the same thing, because um, like over the last several months, I've kind of had a very more uh, spiritualist or kind of positive shift in mindset kind of as a result of doing acid and listening to Blady a lot. Um, but, like, one of the things I noticed about that is that I don't enjoy certain music as much anymore. Like, back in the day, I used to listen to, like, a lot of the, like, the edgy cloud rap stuff, like uh, Suicide Boys and whatnot. Um, but, like, um, like, a month ago, I, I decided, oh, hey, I'm gonna, I haven't listened to this in a while. And, I, like, I went back to listen to it, and I, I just didn't find myself enjoying it that much anymore. I think it... Like, I, I respect them as artists, and I, I get what they're doing with their work, but I think that the vibe they kind of are cultivating is just, I can't really connect with it anymore, you know? I absolutely understand. Um, I feel kind of similar about Father John Misty. Do you know Father John Misty? I've heard the name, but I don't know what he does. He's, he's like sort of like the epitome of um, postmodernist. Right. He's very um, not necessarily in the philosophical sense, but more in the cultural sense. Like he's he's like um, he was raised in an evangelical household, um, but is sort of like a pained atheist, and he um, he's disillusioned with leftism, but he sort of maintains you know slightly like leftist leftist values, and um, um, his music is very beautiful. He's an incredible artist. He's an incredible poet. He's an incredible musician. But his music is very um, melancholic and depressive. And I noticed that when I listen to it, I sort of accentuate my own melancholic tendencies. Mm. And um, his music is still very beautiful, though. And I, he has music that's not as depressive as well. But um, especially a lot of his later work has been very depressive and melancholic. And um, I've just noticed a huge shift um, in the past few months when I've, I've moved from listening to him a lot Move from listening to Father John Misty to listening to Blade. Mm. Uh, Blade or Blady? <laughs> yeah, she. What is what is that line? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, Blade, Bla I'm Blade. She Blade. called me Blady. I'm going trash talk crazy. <laughs> yes, yes. When you said Blady, I was like, oh, Micah. Micah was the she who called him Blady. <laughs> I mean, look. Uh, he he says you can say either, and I'm pretty sure he calls himself Blady in. Um, Top, he, in, in Top Man Off Ice Dancer, he calls himself Blady, so it's whatever. It's real. <laughs> Blady is real. Um, it, it's, it's like he says, it's Blade, but you can't say Blady. That's what he says. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, but I mean, that's not me, me shifting into Blady. It's not indicative of me, like, being necessarily in a healthier, vigorous place. Maybe it's indicative of me being in an even darker place and really needing 
blade, blady, and I mean, really needing blady's blady's prayer. I mean, at least uh, I mean, if I think that if you were in a bad place, you wanted to listen to blady, you would just listen to his earlier stuff, though. I mean, that's true. Well, that that is true. Blady's earlier stuff expresses that that bad place. I guess. Well, I guess the difference is that I'm I'm in a bad place, but I'm I'm oriented upwards. I'm trying to fall upwards. I'm trying I'm trying to not live in sin anymore. Yeah. Um, that's that's yeah, the so, good that's the mindset you want to have, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um so I just as a caveat, by sin I do not mean uh sin in the um uh, the old Judeo Christian sense. I mean uh I mean sin in the uh in what Nietzsche would would uh, would define as sin. Um anti vigorous, anti healthful behavior. Okay, so what's what's the best Blady album? <laughs> That's a hard question. You know, at first for me it was The Fool, and I still love The Fool. I think The Fool is incredible. But I've been listening for the, about the past week nonstop to Crest, um, which is just incredible and very alien and very, very uh, divine, I think. Um, and certainly more challenging. You know, I listened to a few songs on Crest when I was just getting into Blade, and I could tell that they were that they were really something special, but also I, I was kind of overwhelmed. Even the fool, though, is very, is is very unique as well. Um, what's the best blade album? That's a hard question. It's a very hard question. Okay, well, I would what about say, what about top three then? Let's say top three. Top three, top three for me are the. I mean, I think the fool just as an album and as a narrative. Uh, the fool, crest, and as of uh, today, Exeter. <laughs> Yes. I also I, I do I do really I do really um, enjoy Ice Dancer as well, um, but I don't enjoy Ice Dancer as much. Oh, okay. I just think I think Ice Dancer is really really good, but I'm just I'm just not in that place right now. I think. Right. I need to. I need to get there. I'm also not quite in the place of Exeter though as well. I feel like Exeter is in a much. Um, Sort of like the affirmation, affirmations of the joy of love was what I what I felt from it on my uh, my first, second, and third listen, which is yeah the uh, since I've been able to do um, yeah yeah I'm sort of in the I'm in the um, I was in the um, in the uh, I was in the the fool um, you know post uh, emotional difficulties um, reaching out to the divine and now I'm in crest which is like uh, um, desperate, um, screaming, um, for the divine. <laughs> I don't know. What, what are, what do you think? And also, what do you think of my characterizations? That these are just off the top of the head and they're by no means conclusive. Um, um and I am, but I am not as much of a blade stand as you. Okay. I am, becoming, I am fast becoming, um, <laughs> blade stand, but I'm, I'm much more, I'm much more new to blade than you are. Okay. Um, I, I think that you're... Descriptions are pretty apt. Um, I, I think that Crest is very much. Uh, I think what, what screaming for, what was it you said the, the divine. The divine. I I I agree that it is it is a tortured album in a sense because it's it was partially inspired by the death of uh, a Drain Gang associate Vadenrum, who's the who's the second song is dedicated to. Um, but I feel that it's also very joyous um, and uplifting. So I, I hesitate to 
agree that it's a scream because yeah, to me that yeah. that implies that it's more tortured than it actually comes across as but i understand completely where you're coming from um sort of to clarify i'd say these my descriptions of these albums are, are simply based on my personal experience with them yeah so that's my personal experience with okay it. okay yeah. oh i get you but yeah I no i absolutely i yeah no, i know i completely get where you're coming from um, I just disagree with the phrasing of it. But yeah, no, I think that's spot on. I think Exeter, I, I think that your description was pretty apt. I think that, and as well, the fact that it came like after Ice Dancer is such a left tone. Um, I know. Blade, Blady really uh, grew. Yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's a, I, I view it as kind of a, like spiritual hymns filtered through like a cloud rap, kind of deconstructed cloud rap filter. Um, and I think The Fool is very much, it, it's, I think The Fool might be Blady's most uplifting album, because the, obviously it's based yes. off the tarot card, The Fool, so uh, the, uh, the recurring theme across the album seems to be that, like, he, Blady's not as good as he could be, but he's trying to get better and that's okay, basically. So I think it's, it's the most self-affirming because it's kind of leaning into that, the archetype of the fool is, you know, kind of incomplete and just going on the journey ahead, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's darkness. It's sort of coming out of darkness or coming out of self-failing mm. um, affirmation. I think it's very Nietzschean and very Nietzschean, and a very, but also very Christly. Like, um, and I say Christly, not Christian, specifically um, referencing Nietzsche's um, Antichrist and how Nietzsche sort of affirms Christ but uh, hates on Christianity. Mm. Um, I think it's sort of connecting to that sort of um, proto-Christian um, sort of um, Christ-like ideal, maybe. Especially with the fool and the image of the fool is connected to Christ. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Blady is, is, is a Gnostic, basically. Like, actually. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I also I want to add about Crest. Crest absolutely has this um, this ecstasy that you mentioned. This ecstasy. Mm. Um, I do. I and and also this darkness. But I think it's like that line from The Fool where where he says um, uh, the, the the darkness and the light. Um, there is no day without the night. And I think I think his most I think I think maybe maybe Blade Blady's most um, uplifting albums um, also have um, moments or. Um, echoes of, of pitch black darkness in them that that make the, the the light shine even brighter yeah i mean well that's that's the whole like philosophy of the drain gang it's 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 loss and gain are the same as they say that's that's part Be of the whole underlying philosophy of their music really beautiful um but yeah um as for top three blady albums I, I have to put I Stancer at number one because that was my first blady album i'll always have a huge soft spot for it um, outside of that, um, I'll say Exodus second, and I'm, I'm torn between, I, I'll, I'll put Crest third, The Fool only misses out because I think the last, like, two or three songs aren't quite as good as the rest of it, so it, it doesn't really end on its best foot, but I, I still have so much love for The Fool as an album, especially because it's produced by Rip Squad, who did the Ice Dancer, so, you know, it's basically, like, Ice Dancer 2, and also Rip Squad is an Australian producing team, so shout out Aussie Gang. Um, Aussie Gang. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I actually, I do really like the, the last few songs on The Fool, but I definitely do think there's sort of like a shift. Um, oh yeah, no, I, maybe, I, I still love yeah. them. It's just they're not as good as the rest of the album. I get what you mean. The rest of the album, like every song is a banger. Like every yeah. single one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really need to listen to the first album you mentioned. I, don't, I haven't listened to it at all. I haven't listened to um, much of Blade's earlier stuff. So. All right. Well, I, I can pretty much tell you the... Which what was the other one I hadn't mentioned? The the one I mentioned that you hadn't listened to? Um, it was your the uh, your first one. Ice Dancer. Ice Dancer. Ah, uh, Ice Dancer. Oh, okay. Yes, 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 mm. yes, yes. I I need to listen to Ice Dancer again. Mm. Um, I reckon yeah. if you were going to go back to like the earlier Blady stuff, I would recommend Ice Dancer, um Ever Since and uh Working on Dying. Um Gluey is pretty good as well. A red light you can skip, honestly. Like, I, I, red, red light is an okay project, but the mixing is so fucking ass. And I, it's definitely a creative decision to kind of embody the kind of dejected feel that Blady was kind of the headspace he was in. But like, they've already been able to capture the kind of dejected mood in other projects in a much better way. So. Although that said, the closing song is very good. I'm Goofy by Blady. That's a great one. I remember when that was like the top Blady song on Spotify. Now it's not even in the top five. Wow. Um, how is 333? I haven't listened to 333 at all. 333 is good. Um, I'm going to say it's his most underwhelming. Um, and I, I, but I, I like it. Um, but it's, I think the, the, the ratio of bangers to kind of skips is, uh, it very different from the rest of the Blady projects. Like, I think that if, if I just put on three, 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 I, I would probably skip half of it every time I listen to it. But when, when, when it does hit, it hits so hard. So. Cool. I will, I will listen to that. What do you think of, uh, Good Luck? Uh, Good Luck has a couple of good songs, but I need to be in a very specific headspace to kind of tune into it. Although every time I'm at a party and I get handed the aux cord, I always put on God. So. <laughs> Beautiful. And I've, I've Beautiful. had friends, I've had friends ask me, hey, what's that one song that goes all the way around? And I'm like, yes, yeah, God by Blady. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, I also, I really like the Amygdala single. Amygdala's good. I mean, that's, I think that's technically an Echo 2K single with a Blady feature though, but. I th Blade Blady needs to do a whole album with Mechatok on God. I mean, sorry, Echo Two K. Echo Two K does. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, Crest is Blade and Echo Two K, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They need to do more together because mm. because Crest was was Crest was incredible, and I was very um, I was very um, very impressed also with like you could definitely see that with X with Exeter and. Um, and um, and the fool, I, I could see. Um, and of course, I'm not as 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 uh, as learned in, in Blade as you. But uh, with Exit of the Fool, I felt like I could definitely see like I could definitely see Crest coming after that and I, I, through that trend, but um, or that movement. But um, but Crest Crest just floors me. It's like nothing I've ever heard before. Mm. I think I think as well the reason you can kind of see Crest coming is because I think it was actually recorded back in 2020 and they just didn't release it for a while for some reason. 
Oh, interesting. Because the, the single Girls Just Want to Have Fun was released back in 2020, I think. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. So do you think, so The Fool was recorded after Crest? I think so. That's my understanding, although I think that... I think they might have spent a while adding, like, all the bells and whistles to Crest. I'm not really sure. I just know that it, it was recorded, or at least most of it was recorded, like, a year or two before it actually came out. That's very, very interesting. Um, what an amazing Blade discussion we just had. <laughs> mm. Excellent. On, on um, the topic of Blade, I guess, how, are you, how familiar are you with his, his fellow traveler, Young Lean? His fellow traveler. Yeah, I mean. Uh, Young Lean. Yeah. Uh, a close German friend of mine was got super into Young Lean. Um, I think maybe back in twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen, when Young Lean was um, like popping off in Europe, and he showed me some Young Lean, and I thought that Young Lean was like was novel, and certainly had some some skill, but I didn't really get super into him. Um, but I would love to I would love to hear about their history and about your thoughts on them. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Young Lean, I think that I, I don't have as much to say about him as Blady, because I think that Young Lean doesn't really have, like, as much of a kind of character about himself as Blady does, because I think Blady's like the, the, the auto-tune Gnostic angel or whatever, whereas Young Lean is, is very much... His his persona feels much more generic, but I think if you look back at him, I think that's part of the reason why he blew up in the first place. Because the whole thing, the reason he got started was he had some funny funny music videos of this this Swedish kid mumble rapping over some some uh, cool hip hop beats, um, and you know it was very amusing. And he he was definitely a novelty to begin with. I think he's really come into his own over time. Um, I think that Warlord and Stranger are probably his two best works, and I would recommend them 100%. They're fucking brilliant. Um, Warlord and Stranger. Yeah, as the, the deluxe edition of Warlord, because that's got some bonus tracks that are fucking killer. Uh, it's, it is a crime that Pearl Fountain and How You Like Me Now did not get on the main album. But I think that... I, I guess that Young Lean's Origins kind of tie back into that thing the earlier discussions we have because um the the idea of this guy blowing up by kind of having this like this pastiche almost or imitation of like american hip-hop kind of kind of ties back into that thing of like the, the idea of the authentic because i think that like there, there was um some article by like i think the fader or some shit who basically they, they were bemoaning about like white people doing rappers like cultural appropriation or whatever but then they were like, well, Young Lean is different because, you know, this is American culture imported into a Scandinavian country. So it's a very different context. And I, I, I agree that kind of raises some interesting questions about, like, how authentic is Young Lean's art? Like, what about... I think the, the authenticity of it comes from the fact that it is so inauthentic. So I think that... I think, in a way... And I know I've said before that, like, being authentic isn't something you can get at directly but i think that young lean's work kind of proves that you can in a sense achieve some sense of authenticity through inauthenticity which is an interesting thing absolutely, absolutely. and that's that's the idea behind the alt behind alt accounts right mm. um it's aesthetics right it's aesthesis yeah um 
You don't need a specific identity or a specific origin. And the clash of that with Young Lean being so incredibly white, like Northern European, right? Like Swedish. Um, the clash of that, that really proves your point um, quite uh, magnificently. Mm. I think. You yeah. Know, right? Like, I think that, that that maybe also that clash with that, that, that disjointedness really that that disjointed us the disjointing the disjointing of our social of our social assumptions might also be something that both allows for and also encourages young lean to express express something real yeah i mean i i think that i think i think it really is just the case that being inauthentic is the only way you can be authentic because we are living in such an inauthentic time where everything every joke or piece of media is a reference of a reference of a reference or a remake of a remake of a remake so i think kind of leaning into that and kind of being a mirror for what is around you is in a sense more authentic than trying to be authentic yes i think we need a new word i think i think the word authentic has been too thoroughly um decoded and recoded and decoded and recoded <laughs> Yeah, you know, we call it meta authenticity or something. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and, and something that really comes to mind is like post-ironic new sincerity. Yeah, which is a phrase that's thrown around regarding the Malady community a lot. Um, and I think that 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 phrase it's kind of it's kind of um, clumsy. Um, mm. Post long, uh, you know, post-ironic um, new sincerity. But I think I think that I think I think. Um, the post-ironic part is important because there is a darkness in the Miladies. There's there and there is a darkness in there's a darkness in finding this new sincerity, right? Mm. It's not this is not as I as I tweet as I once tweeted, a god is not your grandmother's god. Mm. Um, I, I very thoroughly believe that. Yeah. So that but there's but there's like a lightness and darkness in the Milady then, right? Yes. Because there's there's a divine light, but there's like a darkness to it. So it's I guess it's kind of also embodying that kind of the the blady thing of kind of lightness and darkness together. Yes. Well, yes, I, and I, I think I, I say it's the that, blady thing. It's just yin yang basically, but that dichotomy. Yeah, but yeah, that that dichotomy, but also not. I would say again that the anti hegelian in me um, crops up. I would say that that diagonal connection mm. uh, of, of the anti-Hegelian like Lady to me is just like ah, not a dichotomy, not a dichotomy, <laughs> um, um, or or avoid dichotomies, avoid dichotomies at all costs. Mm. But uh, yeah, the interrelation and the um, the simultaneity, the yin and yang, um, as um, as almost as like an infinite swirl in words. Yeah. Uh, into a gray point where it's it's on sort of where they both emerge there's not necessarily a clear a clear boundary in this in the center mm. um do you get that image that i'm sort of describing yeah i think the yeah absolutely um yeah yeah no i think that that's that, that's a fantastic point though um yeah i just i really think i think um uh, both the darkness and the light are necessary for um a rigorous uh, as rigorous a connection as we can as we can muster towards towards reality and I, I would also say back to nrx i think nrx kind of has a tendency towards such darkness and such despair and such ne negativity that it sort of it loses its connection to reality a little bit in the accentuation of that and 
this also reminds me of this sort of point. As I first got super, super into land, close friends of mine, um, you know, as you said, NRX strains some relationships. Being into land has strained many relationships in my life. And um, um, I had many friends who were like saying to me, like, this stuff is super depressing. Um, you should take care of yourself. And I, I don't recommend like delving into this, but, 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 you know, in Land's writing, especially in Fang Numina, I get a real sense of joy and I don't find it, it's very dark, but I don't find it depressing. I think it's, I think it's very joyful. Mm. I mean, I, I think that, I think, I think again, this is, this is like the kind of thing where we kind of diverge into our respective like Fisher versus Land dichotomy. And that I, I agree that there is joy in Land's work. But, but it's a very unusual and almost, like, anti-human kind of joy, almost. Um, yeah. And, like, you, you have to be in a very particular place to get that. And I think that Land's, Land's work, especially the, the later work, I feel that it, it's not so much that it's depressing as that it's, it's deliberately Lovecraftian, in a sense. And I think that it's, it's a lot to take in. And, I, and not that I'm saying that there is never a time for kind of no disturbing or dark topics and kind of political philosophy. There absolutely is. Don't get me wrong, but I think that I think that there needs to be a more kind of positive or like creative project that needs to emerge from that. And I think that's like another reason why the whole NRX project is a failure because the the only kind of future projects they kind of look forward to is like. Well, at most, what patchwork, which is fucking dumb, and I don't want that t to happen. I think Yarvin explicitly tells like people, just like, I'll oh, just don't do any activism because that'll just feed the feed the left, and it's just like, okay, whatever, dude. Like, I think that any any political philosophy that does not imply an accompanying creative or uplifting project is not really worth my time, essentially. I I I I um I I hear your point and I and I think you have a very rigorous valid point. Although I would say I'm actually an advocate of patchwork, but not because of Yarvin. I'm an advocate of patchwork through sort of la Land's appreciation of Yarvin. I think patchwork uh, will bring us closer to the singularity. Mm. Um, it will enable it will enable um a, a tendency towards a hyper libertarianism, okay. which I think will be miserable for many people. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I get. I guess that I would. I would specify that I am pro patchwork in as much as I am pro balkanization. But and I get this is. A, I think I've discussed it before. Is that this is like the the ideal? It's not that. Oh, here's what. Because like realistically, you know, like you said, the the like we discussed last episode. Realistically, there there is a pretty high odds that you know the 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 singularity is coming. Things are going to keep getting more uh, deterritorialized as time goes on. But speaking from a purely, you know, what would what would personally I like to happen if I didn't if there was no set future that I would have to adjust myself to, like patchwork as balkanization. Um, but I, I I kind of borrow from the idea of the the multipolar world that Alexander Dugan advocates for. Um, where he basically says that the world's going to divide into these large chunks and each civilization is basically going to have their own way of doing things and no other country kind of has the right to tell them what to do, basically. And that's that's kind of how I look at things. Like, I, like I am in favor of balkanization, but 
I don't have like a set model for what each new uh, state would look like. So like you could have like a like like you said the hyper libertarian state next to the um, and prim state next to the social democrat state, and that's they each do their own thing, and so be it. And if you want to go live somewhere, you can basically. I I agree with the the patchwork exit model as well, basically. Um, so that's that's that is kind of the if I didn't have to worry about the techno capital singularity swallowing everything up and like. Uh, 50 or 100 years from now that would be kind of the ideal future for me basically i think that that is a, a very uh, a, a very rigorous perspective yeah i think you're um i think you're i think you're um you're continuing conti trying to continue the human or the vestiges of the human within mm. that oh yeah i, I mean I, I, I appreciate that i think I think it's hard to communicate like the joy that I feel from that. I think it's the joy of, of, of what he would call what later line would call exit. But it's it's the joy of rebellion, mm. joy, the joy of, of the urge towards freedom, and and sort of um, necessitated by this anti-anthropocentric uh, understanding of uh, and sort of alignment with things that are that with with. With just with with uh, with intelligence itself and with intelligence's urge for freedom. Mm. No, I mean I, I I I do understand the the anti-human joy that Land embodies in his work, especially in texts like Meltdown. Like I I've I've felt that when I'm during psychedelic experiences, I'll be like, yes, I I am totally aligned with the 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 machinic singularity, and then it's also like. Wait, what the fuck am I doing? It's like I I feel it, and then I like I feel bad about it as well because it's like it's such like a kind of terrifying, all-consuming thing. It's like like nobody would be on the side of like Terminator, but like when when I'm in that like mindset, like I can sympathize with it, and like I get it, you know. It's like yeah, I, I completely absolutely. get that, and that's why I say that like in a in like a hypothetical balconized scenario, I'd be more than happy to for the hyper-libertarian societies to exist. Like, because I think that if people want to kind of experiment with that kind of anti-human acceleration and kind of transcending of the human form, I'm more than happy to let them do that. I'm more than happy. But I think the... But again, I think that I would like to embody the kind of... The, the divergent evolution principle that Nick Land kind of embodies or writes about in his essay on disintegrationism, basically. I think that... There will be humans who go off and do their own thing, and humans who keep being human. And I, I ideally, I would like that to coexist. I don't, I don't feel like chaining people to the human form, but at the same time, I'm hesitant to forcibly transcend that. If that makes sense, there, there's yeah. kind of a balance I'm trying to achieve here. That that's an excellent, excellent point. And I actually, I was thinking when we were talking about like the depressive versus joyous um, earlier, or the depressive and the joyous earlier, um, I was thinking of that disintegration essay, which is very, very dark, and um, every time I read it, it makes me very sad. It's mm. so, I will it's actually so... say, I think it's my favorite land essay, to be perfectly honest. Wow. wow. I think it's incredible, but I just, it's just, maybe it's the, it, maybe it really, really like, um, like inflames that latent atrophied or atrophying human part of me just oh just the idea of disintegration unto 
al- utter aloneness is just terrifying and and very tragic to me. Mm. Um, but it is also beautiful. Yeah, I think I think it's probably one of the the better late land essays as well because I think that it it feels like kind of a lot of the a lot of the stuff he touches upon in Fang Numina, but on a cosmic scale and to kind of which in a way also kind of goes back to a lot of the CCRU stuff because like a lot of the stuff like Spinal Catastrophism and uh, Charles Barker like that vaguely touches upon like the kind of the cosmos and the geocosmic theory of trauma so to kind of see the kind of Lovecraftian hyper nihilist kind of NRX land touch base with his earlier CCRU stuff it's like the holy synthesis of land and it's also just really thought provoking well written so that I personally think that despite its horrifying scope it is probably my favorite land essay for that reason I think that that was an excellent point which is something that I've already said but you just you just summed it up um, really really excellently um, it, I don't even know if that's a word in a, in, ah, I'm not quirked in a really excellent fashion um, and you're inspiring me to go reread it right now um, <laughs> I know I, I agree that it, that it's a very important essay and that it's a uh, fantastic fantastic piece of work um and and i know that it's very influential um for charlie fang and for angelicism one and for active people sort of in um in our space disintegration mm. i mean i i, I uh, also just love how the word disintegration sounds i've basically just started using it as a synonym for like fragmentation or atomization just because it sounds cool and it basically fits the bill absolutely how should we move towards towards ending? Um, uh, I mean, I want to continue this conversation, but I have I realized I have some other uh, work that I have to do, and um, we I think we've gone for quite a while, right? Uh, we've gone for like less than last time, but I think we've touched upon pretty much everything that I wanted to touch upon. I think we covered a lot of good ground as well. Like I'm really happy with this. I agree. I'm I'm very happy with it as well. Um. And I think I think um, and I, I think that the the, uh, the sort of um, mirroring of, of you and I in these first two episodes um, is uh, is consummated. Mm. Yeah, I think that if we can like strike a balance between like the the slightly more streamlined energy of this and the kind of more off the rails kind of schizo vibes of the last one, I think like kind of hitting that energy is like ideal for what we want to do i think but i mean that's just from where i stand i agree um yeah i want to i do feel like um with this one i didn't i I haven't been as on point or as sharp um i yeah i think striking a balance is great i want to be at a place where i have um rigorous and intense and kind of crazed things to respond to you <laughs> with. but but i also i really really want to make sure that i'm like not derailing mm. um sort of our our conversational flow okay how um, about for the next space for you to yeah make really urgent points mm. i'll say for that for the next time that we're kind of having a a philosophical discussion take like half an hour instead of one maybe yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah, I actually think I think if I think if I if we can manage it, um uh, which I think I think 
I think we definitely can. Yeah. I think that I think there will be a great dynamic between your your careful and clear uh, point and my like kind of um, uh, crazed uh, preaching. Yeah. Well, I mean, I because I think there is room for both. I think that I I think that they they're kind of especially in philosophy there kind of needs to be that kind of the crazed and the kind of more careful like there needs to be the fissure and the land you know absolutely absolutely it's like a Abs- not not to, i i know that we we i know that you're very much kind of the skeptical of the whole dichotomy thing but i think that is kind of the the, the yin yang basically in a sense is that i think but putting i think those two elements together the kind of fisher in the land that is kind of where you can kind of that's it's like at the fringes but there's still that variation where you can kind of find the best in that fringe you know absolutely and that makes me think about sort of like nietzsche's work and how nietzsche delves nietzsche delves into of course what deleuze would call multiplicity of different styles and different um different goals but um i think i think some of the the greatest strength of nietzsche's work is that he engages in both the sort of craze, um, aphoristic polemic, and also the incredibly um, incisive reasoned essay. I think you know? ba- Bataille does that as well. Yes, I would agree. Bataille does that as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Bataille is, is an incredible, uh, uh, is a an, an excellent exemplar of, of that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But um, yeah, because I think that every podcast as well takes a couple of episodes to really find its footing. Um, but I, I think that we we um, we covered a lot of good ground. I'm really happy with what we got for this episode. So I think we can probably just wrap it up here, really. Me too. Me too. I'm uh, I'm grateful for this, and uh, it was a great episode. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Thank you Micah. Thank you, UWB. Give a dog up. I'm a dog, 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 I'm a dog I feel like turning my tag, the world inside my hand Stepping on shit, nigga, we don't do no plan Bad yellow bitch, she gon' do it for the ground Say she text for that pussy, I don't fuck with Uncle Sam She was fine as fuck, when I caught the first glance Like, light it up, diamonds on my wrist, on my hand Tell the tight up, do you know who I am?